Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This show is sponsored by Comark, a global provider of innovative software products and business services. Comark's platform is used by leading brands across all industries to drive their customer loyalty. Powered by AI and machine learning, Comark technologies allow you to build, run, and manage personalized loyalty programs and product offers with ease. For more information, please visit comark.com. Hello and welcome to episode 149 of Let's Talk Loyalty, where I'm joined by Peter Kozlowski, Vice President of Consulting for the Airline and Travel Sector at Comark and a CLMP or Customer Loyalty Marketing Professional. So in today's conversation, Peter and I talked about particularly this pivotal moment for loyalty in the travel sector. We discussed some of the great airline examples of projects and really innovative concepts, both for airlines and also for loyalty for airports. Peter shared some of the newer models of loyalty that he's seeing, for example, talking through the opportunity and important principles for driving a successful subscription-based loyalty program. He also shared a concept around prepaid loyalty, and finally, we talked through the power of artificial intelligence, which is really starting to truly personalize our frequent flyer programs in ways that have probably never been done before. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with me and Peter Kozlowski from Comark. So Peter Kozlowski, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. How are you today? Thank you very much, Paula. Thank you for having me. I'm very well. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. You're in Krakow with us uh, today, are you? Correct. I'm sitting right now in the beautiful city of Krakow. That's where I'm headquartered on a, on a daily basis. Wonderful. Okay. I must try and visit you guys some days, Peter. You definitely need to come. <laughs> Great. Enjoy. Yes, I definitely will. So um, as you know, we're going to start our conversation today, Peter, talking about our favorite loyalty statistic from a Comark perspective. So so please do tell me what is your favorite loyalty statistic? Yeah, thanks for that question. It's a really interesting one. Not that, not that I didn't expect one. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I think it's not probably the most important statistics if you look at the measurement of the loyalty programs. But I believe it's a it's a statistic that tells us much more about how customers engage with our brand more from the emotional perspective. Uh, so typically when we measure loyalty programs, we look at the share of wallet. We look at the comparison of the basket value member mm. versus no member. These mm. are more of a financially driven statistics. Mm. Uh, something that, that I became fan of was to measure actually how much customers are spending time in our digital channels Mm-hmm. Uh, in our reviewing our content that is not necessarily transactional. Mm. So time spent on the website really indicates to us uh, to what extent uh, the customer gets engaged with our brand, to what extent he or she is having fun with us mm. um, <laughs> whilst, while being on our website, while being on our, on our app, uh, not necessarily transacting. So typically we are operating in a universe where loyalty program is highly transactional and we want sure. to get this another incremental purchase. Yeah. Whereas if we if we have a customer who spends more time with us because he or she is having fun with our, with mm. our content, mm-hmm. I think that that is a great proof of a higher level of engagement with, with the brand mm. um, that probably is difficult to get quantified in the financial, um, financial uh, uh, measures, mm-hmm. but tells us a lot about, about the engagement itself. So yeah. I think it's very different uh, mm-hmm. to what we typically talk about, but I think it's, a, it's one of those statistics which is much more and is much softer in terms of, um, in terms of how people engage with us. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, so softer is a very good word, Peter. Uh, first of all, I think it's um, extremely important that we start to to talk more about the the, the, the softer side of measurement. Um, and I know it's an unexpected one. So so thank you for bringing something very very new to the table. Um, if I may add to that something, Paula, I think it's yeah. a, it's a interesting to to see how programs really evolve. 
and I, I'm, I'm coming from a travel space. That's where I grew up, pretty much. Yes, yeah. And if you if you look at the if you if you look at the loyalty programs, uh, and if you look at the, I mean, website. If you're entering uh, being a member or or a mobile app, they have uh, a lot in common with the banking websites. Yeah. So if yeah. I'm opening my statement uh, of my flights, it doesn't differ too much to if I to, to my bank account in Santander or Deutsche Bank, whatever that really is. Yeah. Whereas if we are able to provide to the customer the content that visualizes, that expresses their activity, which are quite uh, attractive, right? And if they are being visualized in a in a nicely yeah. manner, yeah, I think that increases the the engagement of the customer and motivate them to spend more time on our, on, on our website. And yeah. that leads us somehow somehow yeah. leads us to the uh, to to achievement of a of a so-called emotional factor in the in the loyalty not yeah. just transactional factor yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, and uh, and I grew up in the same area uh, as yeah. you did, <laughs> so you know I share your passion particularly for the airline work you're doing. Um, <laughs> you have some other sectors I didn't know about until actually today, so I'll definitely want to talk to you about those as well. But. Sure. But I even said recently myself, Peter, to a couple of um, just colleagues, we were talking generally about our industry. And I really want to, um, I suppose, really strongly agree with you on the content piece, because it is the destination very often that is is what the customer's buying. So so I know it's different, you know, whether it's a leisure or business traveler, and we can talk all about that. But I think certainly for the, um, the sector that, you know, has been decimated, particularly on, you know, people traveling. For, for fun um, yeah. and for, for personal travel. Like, why can we not give them more inspiration about getting to Dubai, for example, which I know you're coming to quite soon. Um, yeah. But I really agree that because, you know, I think our colleagues on the brand teams, Peter, and I'm sure all of your clients will, will know this, to get the attention of a customer, for example, by, you know, uh, creating and investing in TV, you know, to, to market your airline, it's extraordinarily expensive, you Absolutely. know, and it doesn't mean it's wrong because it has the power of inspiration. But I think as loyalty professionals, maybe there's a way we can start to compare, you know, how much attention am I getting in my, whether it's the app or the website, but as you said, in the digital channel and compare that to the attention and what it costs to get it in, in, in broadcast media. I really think that would change the, the conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I fully agree, and I think it can be further expanded, of course, to the to the social media channels, which yeah. provide us a yeah. much more cost-effective and much more measurable uh, means of uh, of engaging with the customers. Yeah. In comparison to the to the traditional broadcasting, yeah. where I mean the, the the typical rule applies that fifty percent of the budget spent on the broadcasting and advertising is spent correctly, yeah. but you really never know how which part <laughs> which is correct. When, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and and I guess because we're loyalty professionals, um, what we should say is yes, as much as we enjoy social media, it's not our own um customers, for example, that we own their data or their attention. So so again, I'm always of the fact, you know, the the advice would be, you know, if we we can get them from social media into our own, obviously, communications Absolutely. environment. I think that community piece, then we can build much more strongly. So Absolutely. sounds like, yeah, wonderful. Okay. Well, we definitely agree on everything to start off with, Peter. So, <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> so true. Great. Great. So I think one of the main um, reasons that we said, you know, that there was a really important conversation that we needed to have is because I think we're all beginning to feel hopeful um, that the world is recovering. Um, you know, vaccination rates are, are extraordinary. Um, your sector, you know, has been obviously, you know, probably the worst affected, dare I say it, from a commercial perspective in terms of travel. So as we come out of COVID, um, I think frequent flyer programs are going to have to evolve. So, so I wanted to get your perspective, Peter, and what you think is going to have to change as we move into the, I suppose, the new normal. Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. I think it, it requires a little bit broader broader perspective. I think that the frequent flyer programs, as the entire airline industry, is in a pivotal moment. Uh, I mean, for yeah. the last one and a half year, um, the the airlines were trying to survive, and I think the loyalty programs were pretty much uh, yeah adopting the the strategy. Let's wait and see what happens. Yeah. And I think it was a very right strategy, uh, yeah. especially it was reflected in the way 
uh, the airlines were treating their top tier members. Simply, they were applying a tactic of extending the validity of your yeah. uh, tier status um, uh, without really disrupting and putting additional complexity into the whole into the whole spectrum mm-hmm. uh, because it was complex enough. Uh, I think what's going to happen in the in the next. 12 months really because we are we're mm. just uh, embarking on that on that pace of a yeah. of a resume to travel mm-hmm. i think we will soon we will very soon learn the new patterns in in that business we don't know them yet sure. so i think the only thing we know is that we don't know yet how the market will look like what will mm. be the patterns of the customers yeah and it will be a very natural step that the the loyalty programs in our uh, industry will have to follow We'll have to follow that new patterns that 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 will change. Mm. So certainly, if we are looking at um, at the tier uh, recognition, mm. they will have to evolve. They would have to adopt a completely probably new structure, new qualification criteria mm. that will reflect the real activity of the uh, of the of the members in their programs. Mm. Uh, same thing is going to happen with the probably accrual and uh, and redemption rates. Uh, they will have to reflect also this new levels of activities of the members in the yeah. uh, in the uh, in the airline networks so i think we're in a pivotal moment we we don't know much yet yeah i think we're getting really first reasonable reports how the structure of the traffic will change uh, how the motivations for travel will change um uh, but they are not representative yet i think once we will be yeah, in October next year, uh, after the 12 months of a more yeah. or less normal operation, everyone will be much more knowledgeable how the market will look like. And I think uh, frequent flyer programs will be will, will be getting adopted to that. Mm. Um, I think something that will really drive the, um, the, the change in the frequent flyer programs in airline ecosystem, there will be changes that will be coming out of a new revenue management uh, uh, approach. Uh, clearly, yeah. The, yeah. the the former revenue management practices, uh, which we have known for two or three decades, mm-hmm. um, they they become uh, not irrelevant, but they will not be that much applicable. Mm-hmm. We will be having a completely new patterns that will have to be followed with a completely new revenue management practices measures, mm-hmm. and ultimately that will get translated into the mechanics. Uh, and the operations of the of the loyalty program. So mm. I think we are in a in a very exciting times ahead of us. Sure. Um, because we are we are approaching a really big material change uh, in our um, loyalty ecosystem. Mm. Uh, I think none of other industries will experience such a such a big change in the patterns yeah. uh, of their of their of their customers. Uh, maybe except, but it's more of a managing the growth except the e-commerce e-commerce space but airlines really yeah. are turning around yeah you're absolutely right. And, and when I think about other sectors like perhaps, you know, hotels or, or you know, retail, for example, um, you know, sometimes only now very much in inverted commas, the only concern that they really have to focus on is, uh, you know, the hygiene factors. So that's the, the obvious piece that, um, you know, once you address that and then people go back to their routine, you know, going back to their local stores, for example, hopefully they'll recover very quickly. But I do think you're right. And I'd love to get your sense, Peter, on do you sense more interest from the business market in, in terms of travel or leisure? Like, do you have a just a, your own personal opinion on that one? Yeah, so I, I think I could only just share the opinion because it's it's today yeah. not really proven by any any form of uh, analysis sure. and statistics yeah uh, but but I think that the, the biggest structure change we will have in the in the business travel mm. it's not that the business travel will disappear that's what that we know for sure but it yeah. will change yeah so I think we have we are getting first interesting reports I'm, I'm referring here to to Jay Sorensen report uh, on the on the changes of the motivation in 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 travel okay. and it seems like that in a, on a it is estimated on a long-term basis, uh, the corporate travel, typical corporate travel on which the frequent fire programs have been living, yeah, um, they, it will shift. But in total, we will lose approximately 20% of the traffic. And that will be primarily driven wow. by the change of the behaviors yeah. um, of uh, internal corporate meetings. Uh, so in the past, we've had a quite a bunch of the air travel, corporate air travel Related to the internal meetings, it seems like the today's collaboration tools 
such as Zoom, such as Meets and, uh, and, and Skype, yeah. uh, they became a really valid alternative. On the other hand, of course, we have uh, face-to-face meetings with the customers. And it seems like that this part of the corporate travel uh, motivation uh, will recover and will come back to certain yeah. extent uh, to the to the similar numbers. Mm. So I think in that corporate and a, and a business travel uh, sector, we're going to have the majority of the of the shifts, and uh, it will yeah. be really interesting to see what is the propensity of the corporate travelers to select the class of travel. Yeah, uh, what's going to happen with the with the business class? I mean, we've seen the revolution. Um, two or three decades uh, ago of uh, yeah, introducing a middle class between first and economy, and mm. it was a business class. Mm-hmm. Are we going to see the similar shift that is happening right now with the business premium economy and economy? Mm. Will, will business class be getting smaller on, on, on board the aircrafts mm. um, based on the, that propensity to select the premium travel uh, seats? I mm. think that's so interesting and we just have to watch it Yeah, uh, and we just have to react to that. Uh, but I think we are starting a little bit, we have a knowledge from the past, yeah. but we are starting in terms of the corporate travel with a little bit of the blank sheet yes. uh, and, and we will, and we will simply, um, yeah, write yeah. a new story about totally. this, that, that, that business. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yes. And and I, I definitely feel from my side, Peter, again, my own opinion, that uh, business travel will absolutely recover to the same level. But I think it'll take longer because I yeah. think if you ask anybody whether it's more powerful to have a Zoom meeting with your client or whether it's more oh, powerful. <laughs> I mean, it's just that the reality is there. So, Without question. Absolutely. So, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the, I suppose, the corporate responsibility to not require people to travel if they are nervous. So so that's why the recovery might just take a little bit longer because they want to be be very careful. But I think when they see, oh my goodness, you know, our, our competitors are going to see our clients and, you know, I think that uh, <laughs> it'll all sort of happen very quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we're, we're getting the first signs of that. Yeah. Of course, these are the, the very early signs and yes. yeah, and we, we just have to watch and what, what's going to happen. But I think we have to be yeah. Um, as a as an industry, as a yes, as a professionals in that industry, yeah, uh, we have to be really open to uh, accept this 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 new patterns, which will be reflected by the data, really. Yes. Um, and and adjust uh, our offerings, our products, and ultimately our loyalty programs to yeah yeah uh, to, to reflect the new reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the report you mentioned, Peter, sounds fascinating. I think you mentioned Jay Sorensen. Um, Correct. The, yeah. So I, I'll ask you maybe just to send me a link so anyone listening to the show can go on to the show notes and make sure that they can look at that. That sounds super interesting. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah? Great, great, great. And I suppose beyond airlines, um, I was really impressed. I didn't realize that you also um, look after the Heathrow Rewards Program. Um, and I'm always wishing, hoping and waiting that um, both Dubai Airport and Dublin Airport, <laughs> my two most uh, most traveled airports, might start. So, so do you also see that there might be growth coming into new sectors? And I'm also even thinking, for example, Peter, about uh, destinations, because I think the whole travel industry needs Needs to come together again to my point earlier even about content to inspire and you know maybe use these loyalty mechanics in other areas of the business even beyond airlines uh, to, to, to encourage people to, to get back on airplanes sure I think uh, speaking about the destinations um, I, I think it's a it's a much bigger challenge to apply yeah uh, uh, let's say typical methodology of a, of, of a loyalty program. Yeah. Uh, simply because uh, we don't have that uh, reciprocity, right? We don't have really frequency of visiting the same destination yeah. multiple times. Yeah. Uh, so that would definitely call for some models of building networks and partnerships, which of course is possible. Yeah. But the complexity of such a, such a constellation is quite is quite large. Yeah. Um, you mentioned about the HIFA rewards and the and and the airport loyalty programs. Uh, I think, I mean, this is not an, absolutely not a new concept. The, the British Airports Authority yeah. have had their program for, for multiple years. Yeah. Um, uh, but when, when the British Airports Authority was being, was being uh, split into a number of the separate private entities, mm-hmm. uh, Heathrow, Heathrow Rewards went with their own program, which I think is a, really a benchmark in yeah. that airport industry. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the, the key aspect uh, of, uh, of, and the value that the 
loyalty program for an airport operator brings is that this is one of the greatest tools for them to actually know who is passing through their terminals yeah. and what are their shopping patterns. So mm. I've been I've been hearing many times from a lot of the industry experts. I mean, why would a traveler um, earn the points in the uh, in the in the airport program if they've got a frequent flyer program and simply the merchant can reward mm. a customer with the with the frequent flyer miles? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, but there is a one important aspect missing here. Yeah, the airport operator of today's world do not want to be really blind in terms of uh, who their end customer is. Totally. Um, if an airline holds the data, if the airline owns the data, uh, that means that the, air, the the operator of the of the airport just provides the infrastructure, yeah, provides the retail space, but has completely no control over uh, marketing of the retail space and understanding mm. of the end consumer because yeah. end consumer would belong to um, uh, to to the airline. Uh, mm. So I think the the airport law the program which is put in the middle of that. Uh, is a great response to that. And it doesn't really mean that mm. at the end of the day, the frequent traveler who is a member of um, BA Exec Club or Virgin uh, Virgin Atlantic uh, Flying Club mm-hmm. is not able to uh, earn those points. Mm. Because in the HIFO Rewards program, you can convert your earned points to your frequent uh, favorite uh, frequent flyer program. Oh, nice. Uh, but in between that, HIFRO as an operator of the program collects a lot of the information about uh, customers, yeah. their spending patterns, mm. uh, the products they are they prefer to buy, their frequency of visits. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able actually to capture yeah. the data, and they wouldn't be able to really identify who their most profitable end consumer is in the retail space. Yeah, and 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 the loyalty program is a beautiful element that fits into that into that value chain. Yeah. And it's a great example, Peter, as well. And I think, you know, I used to judge the Loyalty Magazine Awards uh, based out of the UK and Heathrow Awards always came up. And particularly, I believe, won awards for, you know, best long term loyalty strategy. So um, I think a lot of recognition should go to Heathrow for having this um, in place for such a long time and obviously making it profitable for themselves, because we all know it's a big decision to invest in a loyalty program. And as you said, there's already the airline programs that um, the same people are members of, uh, but this incredible value in the data. And I do remember noticing, and I'm guessing this came through not just from looking at the airlines coming in, but probably from the loyalty data. But uh, I don't know if it was Heathrow specifically, but certainly another airport in the UK was doing a lot of its advertising in Chinese, um, in a Chinese language, a Chinese script. And I thought that was fascinating, you know, that they had a much better awareness and understanding of what their customers needed than I had Definitely. ever appreciated. So it's absolutely incredible. Definitely. And uh, if you look at today's airports, they are having, depending on the on the exposure to the particular direction of the, of the travel they're offering, be it the yes. Far East Asia, be it the Middle East, uh, they are tailoring their retail offering, they are tailoring their marketing yeah. for that specific, specific markets. I think the, 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 the two majorly focused destinations of the of the retail in European airports uh, are the customers coming from the Far East Asia and, mm. and and the Middle Eastern customers because they are they are spending patterns at the airports while departing is 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 tremendous in comparison to what the Europeans are spending. So that's a really mm. really interesting to see how they tailor um, the product the, in terms of the gates where, mm-hmm. where the partic- or, or the terminals from which particular destinations are departing versus yes. the retail offering they are having in a, in a particular terminals. Wow. Wow. Clever stuff, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I know also um, something that really interests me, and I know you do some great work, Peter, is in the whole area of the, the, the B2B side almost. Um, so I think it's British Airways and also Latin American Airlines and even Iberia. I think you mentioned you do uh, loyalty programs. Is that for travel professionals or, or what's the, the kind of SME corporate so, uh, style of loyalty programs that you're doing? Yeah, I think that's a that's a very exciting area um, because if you if you look at the typical business customer of a of an airline, at the typical company, mm. uh, they are being typically engaged with an airline for the for the corporate managed deal. So if you're yeah. a large corporation of the size of Coca Cola, Barclays Bank, yeah. I mean you you sign with your home carrier or with the carrier where which which has a dominant mm. position in your markets, 
you simply sign um, a, a corporate managed deal, which gives you a certain discounts. That's that's translated to the discounts. Sure. It's quite labor intensive uh, because you need to have the account managers running after the yeah. uh, those those, uh, corpor- those corporations signing this mm. hundred pages deals on on getting <laughs> X percent uh, discount on a specific routes. So um, that's working model. Yeah, that's that's very well adopted model. Sure. But this is the model in which you cannot operate with the small companies. Uh, and what we see in the market yeah. for the last more than a decade is that the smaller and smaller companies are doing business on distance. If we're talking about the markets like US, mm-hmm. um, they are doing business on distance. If we're talking about the European or other can, other regions, they are doing international business. So with today's growth of the technology globalization, mm. a small company out of, let's say, Krakow, where I'm sitting here with mm. 10 employees, I mean, they can do international business with a Silicon Valley. Mm. And at some point of time, uh, they generate a propensity to travel. Yeah. Uh, but simply, they, they cannot qualify and they cannot really get engaged with an airline for the corporate managed deal simply because they, their turnover yeah. in terms of a, of a travel uh, is too low. Mm. Uh, so that means that some of the small companies uh, are simply being left unaddressed by by the airlines yeah. simply because they don't have a proposition for them. Mm. So we believe that the loyalty mechanics as a form of a, a rewarding, incentivizing small companies can be a great alternative to the corporate managed deals to address small mm. and medium enterprises. Oh, love it. Um, yeah. And 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 simply and simply uh, get them engaged. What we see in Europe, such as small companies um, that have been doing international business, have been very well addressed by the low-cost airlines. Yeah, that's uh, if we look at yeah, the. Yeah, of course. I think it was some years ago, and I cannot I cannot really recall the source of that. Mm. But EasyJet was was reporting that thirty five percent of their travelers on board. Yeah. are actually people who are traveling on business. For sure. And these were not the typical corporate travelers. These were the people who were doing yeah. and working for a more independent companies, small companies. Mm-hmm. So um, traditional carriers uh, have started to realize that actually this is a pretty nice mm. um, pretty business. nice portion yeah. of business. Yeah. And uh, this, this uh, SME, corporate mm. loyalty programs, uh, became a really valid alternative. On nice. the other hand... Okay, um, just maybe to add one more, one more thing. On the other hand, um, for the such as SME loyalty program can be also a relevant tool to engage corporate, large corporations in the markets mm-hmm. where they don't have a dominant position. So mm-hmm. let's take an example, IKEA. IKEA is a dominant player in the Scandinavian market. For mm-hmm. sure, they've got a corporate managed deal in, mm-hmm. uh, with SAS or Norwegian. Yeah. But in the United States, it's a small company. IKEA mm. is a small company. They've got a small setup. Mm. So probably they hardly can qualify to get a managed deal with a United Airlines or American Airlines. Yeah. But if there is a reward program they can enter, yeah. they can be incentivized and it can deliver them a tangible value and build a stickiness of IKEA USA to the uh, to the to the particular airline brand. So I think it's a nice. it's a really, yeah. really smart way of engaging small and medium enterprises, and in some cases, large corporations in their non-core markets. Love it. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in airline loyalty listening to this show, Peter, as you know. So I'll be fascinated to hear, you know, who's thinking about that particular segment, maybe in the past or certainly in the future. As you said, we're we're at this pivotal moment and it's almost like you can't let any market segment be, be left unaddressed. So I think it's a very clever strategy. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I, I think and I think the airlines are are yeah seeing that and uh, yeah thinking for the last it, for the maybe. last seven eight years yeah thinking about it okay and and they are changing those programs if they have one if they have them mm. or they are simply adopting the the completely new programs. Okay. And another thing which I'm fascinated by is uh, the whole concept of paid loyalty programs, Peter. Um, so the subscription model and, you know, building those kind of propositions. What's your view on them from a from an airline or travel perspective? Yeah, I think it's a very exciting new area. Uh, overall subscriptions is an exciting topic. Mm-hmm. Um we are, we are. I think it's been proven in a number of the industries, especially after the Amazon Prime effect. Yeah, the subscription can be a really valid business model for for selling services. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I can see that in the in the travel space, more and more 
uh, I mean, primarily airlines are looking at subscription-based programs. Mm. Uh, I think it's it can be a really interesting um, model to, to be adopted, uh, but it needs to be really thought through. So yeah. I think the worst the worst effect that we can achieve is that, I mean, uh, if everyone if if subscriptions are popular, let's just do something as a subscription and let's convert, for instance, our frequent flyer benefits into subscription format. Uh, mm, mm. Well, that might not be enough. Subscription preconditions, if it, if it's going to work, yeah. the precondition is that you really are able to deliver uh, a value that surpasses the customer kind of a expectation if they buy something on the off the mm, shelf. Mm. Um, and you have to have a right economics in place underneath in terms of your cost structure mm. that you are actually able to offer those products providing that superior value. So simple, simple packaging of existing, let's say, benefits into the subscription model might not work. Um, and it yeah, might be just a, kind yeah. of a following the, 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 the trend of a subscription. But I think um, you, you need to combine um, maybe your tier benefits with a completely new set of the services that mm. really add value to consumer to, to be able to succeed in that, uh, in that space. Okay. Um, I think we will be seeing a lot of the a lot of the new models emerging, the subscription model, we will see a lot of the successes like mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, like yeah. Spotify. Mm. Uh, we will see probably a lot of the failures and, and that's the nature of the, of the, of the economy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we just have to learn from that. But I think it's a, it's a really exciting, exciting uh, uh, area. Mm. And with that technology advancement that we have uh, and being able to actually achieve that economics underneath yeah. Um, um, uh, this is really exciting, exciting area. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's about getting the compelling proposition. Yeah. And for example, I wrote an article probably about a year ago, Peter, in a different sector, but it was it was in some ways disappointing, but in some ways a reality check uh, because I was writing about subscription in almost like quick service restaurants or convenience retail. Right. And uh, Burger King has a coffee proposition and the BK Cafe um, concept had, they, they had launched one, which was $5 for unlimited coffee. And you can imagine now that everybody thought this might be, you know, a really good idea to maybe just drive footfall into into Burger King, maybe in that morning kind of part of the day where they wouldn't have had it. But they discontinued it very quickly, Peter. So I think they're in that case, perhaps, and I don't know because I haven't drunk Burger King coffee, but maybe the product wasn't on a par with people's coffee consumption behavior. So yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think so subscription should be considered as a really for business model of selling services. Yeah. It cannot be treated as a shortcut to yeah. get a recurring, a recurring revenue. Yeah. Uh, because very quickly, and that's one also of the preconditions, if you want to be successful in subscription model, yeah. you have to give uh, customers very easy way to exit. Yeah. Um, I totally uh, otherwise, agree Otherwise, yeah. the barrier to, to, to subscribe to any product would be too high and it will, it will be tailored for a failure as well. Yeah. So it requires a completely new way of thinking of how we how yeah. we package our products and services yeah. and what kind of the yeah, end value it delivers to the consumer. Yeah. And only that can that can lead to the success. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Again, I, I totally agree, Peter. I remember when I was writing that article, I was looking up the, the website for the Dollar Shave Club, which yes. was, um, again, I'm sure many listeners are familiar with it, the very first time that, you know, a model was created where you could subscribe for razors to, to be shipped to your home on a, on a monthly basis. Um, and I know it was acquired for about a billion dollars, I think, by, by Unilever at the time. But when I went onto their website, exactly to your point, Peter, it literally had, you know, do you want to leave our program? A very obvious and very reassuring way to go. If this isn't working, we're not going to, you know, hold Absolutely. you in. <laughs> hold Absolutely. you hold you hostage. So so I think that's something that people are afraid of actually in business. And I, I totally get that, you know, you don't want to lose people uh, too easily, but I think they need that that trust element if they are going to invest in something that's recurring from their side. Absolutely. I, I fully agree. Um, so so I think we, we will see this this new emerging models uh, of subscription. Mm. I think the airline industry um, has an appetite for that and we, we, we are clearly seeing it. Yeah, good. Um, uh, but but I think uh, we, we've had some cases, very good cases, uh, how a kind of a quasi subscription model have been have been working. Mm. I mean, I, I, I recall my my customer JetBlue who has been offering um, 
a subscription for a month, all you can jet fare, where oh. essentially you, you were purchasing for, I can't nice. remember the fare right now, for yeah. $100, um, uh, the, the ticket which allowed you to unlimitedly use Ooh, uh, your the, the JetBlue flights across the US, yeah, 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 um, and uh, e- that was only valid for for a month, and they were offering that in a low season, uh, okay. which was a Perfect. great opportunity for the people who wanted to discover US and and some Caribbean, yeah, um, uh, and and really it proved that it provides a real real value to the end customer, yeah. whereas on the other hand, it was making a great job for for JetBlue, yeah. for whom that was a uh, a particular month with a, with a low season. Yeah. So I think uh, this kind of a creativity yeah. uh, is being required to build a subscription products, uh, not just packaging simply the benefits and trying to charge for them because yeah. you cannot accrue them, for instance, for the, for the, for the yeah. um, traditional tiering qualification. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I really, really love that idea. I think that's extraordinary now. And I was thinking about Aer Lingus, which <laughs> is my, you know, uh, home carrier, as you know. And, right. um, you know, I think there are a few domestic locations, for example. So it wouldn't be as exciting if they tried to do it just within Ireland. But if they were able to build a proposition like that, for example, where you could travel. Ireland is a beautiful island, so. Oh, well, it, you're totally right. You're totally right. But but for example, I think if, if you were able to do it, let's say, for the continent of Europe, you know, if you can do it on a continent level and again in a low season, I just think people would just really re-remember how much they loved traveling and maybe get over, you know, the, 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 those current things. So so I love that creativity. So well done to JetBlue. And I hope Erlingus is listening. <laughs> you never also know. Too. They yeah. are my customer as well. So, oh, yeah. brilliant. We've, we've got to get connected. Oh, fabulous. Well, listen, we're hoping to get them on the show as well at some stage, Peter. So if you can um, mention that to them, that would be awesome. (laughs) No problem. Great. Are there other business models as well then, Peter? Um, You know, as we said, um, subscription is a hot topic. You already mentioned emotional loyalty. So again, I think not as a business model, but as a a strategy and as an intention. But what other models do you think that um, particularly airlines and travel uh, loyalty operators should be thinking about as we come into this kind of new normal? Absolutely. Something that I'm that I'm watching very closely, um, and um, and I think that can that can get some momentum are the are the form of a prepaid loyalty programs where where you are being rewarded only under the condition that you initially prepay the budget that you are then using for yeah. for spending on the products and services. Uh, yeah. I think this model, of course, has its complexities, has a quite a yeah. high barrier to, to enter. Yeah. Only very specific high frequency um, businesses can can really afford going to our direction or convince customers that that it's worth to prepay a balance of a, of a cash to, that is being then used. Mm-hmm. But I think we we might see in a in a in a coming future um, more and more of such a prepaid programs. It's similar mm-hmm. to subscription. It requires really yeah. Um, really strong um, uh, business modeling behind it of course um, but this this has this fulfills a, a few few conditions i mean on the one hand you are um, improving your cash flow position that's that's a more of a financial matter mm-hmm. um, on the other hand you are tightening and you're building a stronger affinity to the uh, to generate that additional incremental purchase if you already prepaid the the balance mm-hmm. um, together with that if you are able to incentivize at the higher level customers for that, I think it could be really interesting. For sure, it's not for all the brands. Um, mm, mm. Uh, for sh- I'm not I'm not sure today how, to what extent it can respond to the airline needs, such a prepaid programs. Mm. But I'm more than sure that if you are able to collect some cash from customers up front yeah. before delivering a service, it's um, it's a really attractive for especially CFOs. Yeah. Uh, but if you are able to balance it with a great experience for customers and value for them. Yeah, I mean, such a prepaid programs could be actually mm. uh, an interesting alternative to what we have in the market right now. Yeah, certainly it's not for everyone. No, I know. But definitely. And, and again, the purpose of this show, Peter, is to bring you ideas exactly like that, that maybe we haven't thought about before. And I haven't seen it done, um, you know, certainly in my, my own experience. But when I think about other uh, verticals, 
I know certainly Irish consumers. I probably know the Irish consumer market uh, better. But uh, you know there is a real appetite for for prepaying, and um, there always has been, particularly around you know maybe Christmas time, for example, is something people know they'll have a big um, level of expenditure. And this is probably just in the grocery market. But I think the same proposition would appeal to leisure customers. Um, again, certainly in Ireland, and I'm sure around the world. And as you said, for for the company, I think the proposition is super powerful. Absolutely, absolutely. It has a number of strengths, and if you are able to build also a trust uh, to the brand yeah. that actually that actually customers are willing to prepay yeah. uh, the service that they're going to buy in the future, yeah. uh, I mean it's a big vote of a trust as well. Totally. Um, so to a certain extent, it's also an expression of a of a loyalty. Uh, if you trust the brand to an extent that you can prepay something, yeah, uh, in, and you are you are hoping that the promise that you're going to get a superior product and or value. Yeah, uh, it's going to be fulfilled. That's a that, that's a big thing to achieve. Sure, and it definitely builds the anticipation as well, Peter. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, half the fun about traveling is when I make the booking. You know, and it's like it's yeah. I. I immediately start looking forward. Like it's not like I've already built, uh, booked, for example, to go for Christmas. Um, so I'm already looking forward to that because it makes it real for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you extend the entire experience. Totally. Actually from, from, from the moment when you think about travel yeah. up to the moment when you really do that. Yeah. Yeah, love it. Okay, definitely one to follow. And uh, already I'm thinking like this time next year, we'll have to repeat the conversation because... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want to see, great. yeah, for sure. I want to see which ones have already happened and which ones. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, as you said, the, the post-COVID stuff, we don't know what to expect uh, completely, but um, it's it's definitely going to be interesting. So the final area then I wanted to ask you around is, um, you know, the big buzzwords about artificial intelligence, which I think sure. people are equally excited by and sometimes terrified by, depending on, on who you are. <laughs> but um, it definitely has incredible value that it can, you know, bring to businesses, you know, if you can start to Absolutely. apply intelligence to, to it. So so I'd love to know, you know, what are you doing, I suppose, for the loyalty market? Like, like what is Comark doing either from a personalization perspective or how else are you leveraging this amazing uh, technology? Absolutely. So, uh, artificial intelligence is a, is a kind of a kind of a term that that is with us for for like two or three years, and it got really, it got really a lot of buzz in the market. Totally. Um, where companies like like Comark, where they get engaged with the artificial intelligence, is a subset of of AI, which mm -hmm. is machine learning. And uh, it's nothing really scary. It's uh, these are these are simply the algorithms which are around us. Mm -hmm. um, which are providing to us a number of the different recommendations mm -hmm. uh, based on the uh, on the analytics of a large subset of data. Okay. Um, the area in which so so if the the these algorithms are around us, I mean they're being used by the um, yeah, major web browsers that we are using, Google of course. Yeah. Um, they are being used by uh, by Amazon, so the entire recommendation engine um, is something that is actually machine learning based, right? Yeah, um, what right. we are doing and how we leverage that, we, we leverage the, the machine learning in, in, two, in two verticals. Mm. One thing in, in delivering the uh, personalization, mm -hmm. and I'm talking here about a personalized uh, communication, personalized offers. Mm -hmm. And the other angle of that is the, in detecting of the frauds. Mm. Um, so loyalty programs are very nicely exposed to the, to the fraud activity because mm -hmm. more and more value is being carried within the balances of the loyalty programs. Mm. Um, and not naturally, it's, a, it's an area for which the hackers and, the, and uh, yeah, let's say, crime world has an appetite for. Oh, I see. So okay. uh, we, we are deploying our, our AI machine learning uh, algorithms in order to actually detect the anomalies in the behavior of the accounts, balances, transaction ah, patterns uh, okay. in order to determine, not to yeah. define whether these are really fraudulent transactions or, or, or customers, yeah. but in order to identify whether they are uh, within the standard pattern or whether there's anomaly. Uh, if there is an anomaly that yeah. indicates to us it could be a potentially fraud, a fraud transaction. It's a much more proactive way of detecting the fraud. Mm. Um, this is a fairly new model that has been adopted. We have adopted that from the banking industry, actually. Oh, very good. Um, where yeah. initially this type of solutions by Comark have been deployed in order to detect the money laundering activities and to measure, yeah. to measure a, the particular transactions or accounts, how they are exposed and how what kind of a level of risk 
uh, is with them uh, in terms of the money laundering. And then we have adopted that solutions for uh, for uh, for loyalty programs, and it really works uh, and brings in interesting results. So personalization and fraud. Uh, this is for the moment what we are what we are doing with that with the machine learning. Yeah, I'm more than sure there will be other areas. Uh, soon uh, address with that technology. Yeah. And I have one, you know, and it's purely an idea as as a consumer, but it's been in my mind, actually, just from a conversation I had a few weeks ago, Peter. So I'll put you on the spot now and see if I'm if I'm just, um, you know, hoping for too much. But it sounds like the, the capabilities of AI could really support this kind of concept. So so my idea was literally around, I love getting, you know, uh, communications from any frequent flyer program or in fact, any loyalty program that I'm engaged with. Um, and, and I know there's a level of personalization within it, but what I sometimes um, think there might be another opportunity to really look at my, like maybe my points balance. So if I happen to have enough points to go maybe business class back home to Ireland, but alternatively, I could get to economy tickets to the United States, like, like to create or package the, the options for redemptions to inspire me to travel. Is that something that you think is, is feasible? or is it being done or am I totally crazy? But I keep kind of going, I bet you there's more I could do with this. And I just, you know, I don't see airlines yeah. yet proactively sending out that kind of like personal, like not just personalized, but personal to Paula, a suggestion yeah. that, that that this is what I could do when I do get the balance up. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think the industry is is, is starting to doing it. So we, we are oh, seeing cool. such a, such a initiatives, uh, but they are not that, let's say, popular. Okay. Uh, I, I think the, the major difference, if you look at the frequent flyer programs and let's say the e-commerce platform is, yeah. I mean, you are in the airline world, you are operating with a modern newest technologies yeah. supported with the AI, but you are also operating with a very, let's say, legacy systems, That's true. which are not yeah. yet adopted to operate in such a manner. Okay. Whereas if you are uh, if you are in the e-commerce space where pretty much technology is is completely modern, yeah. uh, it's not older than two or three years, which and follows the newest technologies from the AI, from the cloud uh, native architectures, I mean, they are much more prepared for for adopting this model. But I think mm. uh, airline world is uh, is on 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 that path of of a digitalization of yeah. digital transformations, yeah. uh, of adopting newest technologies. Yeah, uh, and I think you will not have to wait long to. To, to, to see the, the brands op <laughs> offering you such a such a proposition. Oh, thank you, such thank a you. Level of personalization. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, watch this space, as they say. So, my final question for you, then, Peter, is: What is your favorite loyalty program? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I'm not going to mention the program that I'm a member of uh, okay. because it would be too 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 too, uh, too easy. Yeah. I'm not going to mention our customers, although I would love to, yeah. because it would be too easy as well. But I think um, the the program that I really appreciate uh, that really I mean for me is a kind of a mastermind. Uh, of a of a loyalty world is a is a program of Starbucks rewards. I'm not a big fan of the yeah. of the coffee itself. I mean, okay. if you travel to Italy, you know you can get a better coffee in in a yeah. small Italian cafes than than at Starbucks. Yes. But if you look at how the program was uh, architectured, it's just an amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, how it balances the um, the value for the customer mm -hmm. with financial performance. I mean, Starbucks Rewards was one of those first large global programs which adopted the prepaid model, right? Yeah. Where yeah. you are being extra rewarded if you prepay your balance. Actually, mm -hmm. that's how they started, but now it's an, just an option. Yeah. Um, and if you, it, it balances the, this this customer experience with the financial goals of of of, of Starbucks. Mm. Uh, so if you look at the at the prepay model, I mean, I've read the the article. It was I think a year ago mm. that in total. Um, Starbucks Rewards was sitting last year on $1.6 billion of cash that was yeah. prepaid by the, the customers. Yeah. And if you look at the breakage that, that comes together with that yeah. uh, of approximately over $100 million a year, My God. that generates you, that, that raises the question, yeah. is Starbucks Rewards a kind of a quasi-banking business? Totally. Um, and if they were able to do it this way, that, that's just a great thing. Yeah. Ultimately, they are borrowing cash from their consumers at a negative at a negative interest rate yeah uh, and that's the that's the beauty of that 
Mm. Whereas the customers stay happy and they and they feel and they feel they're being treated very well by by the brand. So yeah. for me, simplicity of the program, mm. uh, mm, fulfillment of the financial goals of a, of a, of a Starbucks, yeah. uh, together with the great experience the customers are are getting, mm. it's been just a masterpiece from some Starbucks rewards. Well, I agree. And it's a great word, Peter, a masterpiece. I, I totally agree. And I think I might have read the same article that you did, which actually, I think we all did. Yeah, <laughs> we must have, you know, yeah. is Starbucks actually a bank, you know, <laughs> that yeah, you exactly, to sell exactly. coffee. That was That's... the one. That was the one. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure again to, to, to root that one out and, and link it in the show notes here, Peter. Um, mm. So listen, it's been a fabulous conversation. I'm very excited about all of your ideas um, and to see what you do now, uh, as we said, in the next uh, 12, 24 who knows uh, in the future so is there anything else that you wanted to mention uh, before we wrap up no i think i think well we, we had a good conversation we 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 covered a lot yeah um yeah. on a high level but 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 quite a lot of topics yeah um so probably we could go on for hours like that but the oh. listeners probably wouldn't stand it i'm not yeah. sure they would stand it <laughs> so no i appreciate very much the time and and that 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 interesting discussion we had and nothing to add Okay, wonderful. And um, we're releasing this show, I know, just a few days ahead of when you arrive over here in Dubai for the Loyalty and Travel Awards. Um, so very excited to uh, to finally meet you in person. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so super exciting and great to see that, that, you know, that you're, you know, really supporting the industry because I think that's what the conference is doing overall is saying, well, look, if we want our customers to travel. We also have to travel. So, so just wanted to acknowledge that. So listen, it's been a fabulous conversation, as you said, Peter. So from my side, Peter Kozlowski, Vice President of Consulting for Airline and Travel Loyalty from Comark and a CLMP. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you, Paula. I appreciate your time. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 170 executives in 20 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show.